Welcome to the Radiant Visalia podcast. Join us at one of our two services, 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. Download the Church Center app or visit our website, radiantvisalia.com, to stay connected with us. All right, enjoy. We, uh, like Eric said, we're going through these series following Jesus into things like love and worship and service. Next month we'll talk about forgiveness. Um, These are really big topics. Uh, We're doing our best to condense them and share how we, these things will work out here at Radiant Church. The hope here is we're moving toward membering together um, and becoming committed and covenanted together as a church. So that's going to happen at the end. If you're just getting here in the middle of this, or you missed a couple weeks, the sermons are all available online. You can listen to them on our website and get caught up. I think you can even download them and take them with you. So there's that. Let's, uh, we're going to be in Matthew 25, if you want to open your Bible there. And as you do, I will pray. Heavenly Father, we're, we're grateful for an opportunity to gather together as your church, Lord. We know that we're just gathered here for a short time in order to be sent, Lord. And I pray that you'd get us connected with our sentness, Lord, and how you are calling us to serve, calling us to go beyond um, where we're comfortable, Lord. And we look to you, Jesus, as uh, the author of our faith and the perfecter of it. And be lifted up here in our midst, Jesus. In your name, amen. So we're, um, like I said, this month we're talking about service. Today we're going to talk a bit about stewardship. Stewardship's a fancy word that I'll um, explain a little bit more. Stewardship, though, essentially is service. Stewards are servants. As we're going to see here in this parable that Jesus shares, a steward is essentially doing the work of service. That's why we're talking about it this month Matthew 25, he, Jesus shares a couple of parables that talk about the kingdom of God. One in particular is familiar to us. It's called the parable of the talents. Um, I'm going to read that in its entirety because Jesus is a better teacher than me. For it, it will be like, he's talking about the kingdom of God. It will be like a man, and particularly when, when the Lord returns. It will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them with his property. To one he gave five talents. Uh, And a talent, just so you guys know, is a unit of money. And a a talent was worth about 20 years wages for a laborer. One talent, 20 years wages for a laborer. I didn't do the math on what that would be today, working minimum wage, but it's a whole lot of guacamole. So to one he gave five talents. To another two, to another one to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug it in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you have delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. 
His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. And enter the joy of your master. And he, and he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you've delivered to me two talents. Here I've made you two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in the place where there will be weeping and gnashing and teeth. And happy ending. Um, So Jesus, again, tells an earthly story to to communicate a heavenly truth to us in parables. That's uh, what he's trying to communicate to, to his audience. As we see here, the test of stewardship is faithfulness. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's the test of stewardship, faithfulness. Every time it has nothing to do with ability or how much you were given or how much you uh, increased what you were given. It has to do with faithfulness. The servant with the one talent could have made one talent more, and though he had made hardly anything compared to the other guys, he would have received the same well done, good and faithful servant. The test of stewardship is always faithfulness. The Father's well done. God the Father, who we picture here as the, the boss or the guy who hand out the talents. The Father's well done from heaven is the goal of our faithful stewardship, of our service to him. That's, that's what we're after. The Father's well done. Um, and, and recognize, too, that he didn't say well done, rich and wise servant. Well done, talented and handsome servant. Well done, uh, outgoing and uh, demonstrative servant. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. That is something that all of us are, uh, are able to get to. Goodness and faithfulness. That's the test of service and stewardship. Um, Jesus, uh, and I want to point out too, the, the guy at the one talent, his excuse was that the master was a cruel, harsh man who reaped where he didn't sow and gathered where he, he did not scatter. He, he said, I knew you to be a harsh man. Funny that the other two didn't have that experience with the master. He said, you know, that he gave them to each to his, their ability. Um, so the guy who had one talent, you know, he probably wasn't as able as the other guys. He got only one talent, which is fine. He was still entrusted with plenty. But, but this guy struggled with a view of his master. And that's what, why he buried what was given to him. So, so keep that in mind. If that's keeping you from su- servanthood, from stewardship, do you have a harsh view of God? And God replies, I, I believe it's, there's a tone of sarcasm here. Oh, you knew to me to be a harsh man. You knew me to, to gather where I didn't scatter. Well, you should have hid it in a bank. So at least I would have earned some interest and not in the ground. 
And so check in to, to, to the conversations going on in your head as we talk about stewardship. What's keeping you from faithfulness? What's keeping you from obeying our master? Do you have a harsh view of God? Do you, do you believe him to be angry and greedy and uh, negative? Because if that is your view of him, I guarantee you, you will bury what he's given you and hide it. And we all know what happens to that person. The happy ending. Um, the weeping, the gnashing of teeth. Jesus, when he was here, we talked last week as Jesus, a servant, came from the highest place in heaven, the richest of the rich, and came to be the poorest of the poor and showed us the full extent of his love, not by taking out a sword or a checkbook or a pretty song. The full extent of God's love was shown with a basin and a towel. Jesus was a perfect steward. He managed what God had given him perfectly when he, when he was on, here on earth. He understood his life only to be what God had given him. Jesus knew that his life, was, the only thing he had going for him was what God had given to him, what God had entrusted to him. Um, he took, like we read last week, the very nature of a servant. He became a servant, like we see in these, uh, this, this parable. Well done, good and faithful servant. He, Jesus, received the loudest, most resounding, well done, good and faithful servant, I believe. He lived his life completely faithful to the Lord. As someone in our home group said uh, this last week, service is the heartbeat of God. Service is the heartbeat of God. That Jesus understood this, that God, when God gives something to us, it's for the purpose of giving it away. Um, and we can only steward what we understand to, to be not our own. Jesus understood his life not to be his own. Likewise, the only way we're going to steward something is when we understand that what we have is not our own. God owns 100% of what he has given us. God is, has 100% ownership. And this idea of stewardship has to start there with understanding that God owns 100% of what he's given us. Not 10%, not 20%, not 50%. 100% of those talents that were given to these servants were owned by their master. They weren't theirs. But they were entrusted to them. And likewise, God's entrusted us with some things. What is a steward? It has origins back in feudal England when lords ruled over their castle. And likewise, they had a realm, a land. And since they were too awesome to, to, to deal with the daily uh, stuff in their land, they, handed their, they entrusted a steward, who was literally called a steward, to, to handle their daily affairs. The steward lived in the second nicest house in the realm, right behind the Lord. The steward was not the Lord. The steward understood themselves not to be the Lord, um, but they were a steward. They were entrusted with everything that the Lord had given to them. Land, servants, the economy, uh, produce, the castle, it all was entrusted to the steward. Since the King James Version of the Bible is written back in that time, Thus, we have the word steward in our Bible. Today, it'd be more accurate for us to call it manager. Um, some, a steward is essentially someone who manages the assets of somebody else. Um, so it's like uh, if you invest money um, with an with investment broker, they manage their mon- your money for you. It's not their money, but their job is to take care of your money for, for you. So today, think steward, it's manager. Somebody who's entrusted with a good great deal of responsibility, but is themselves not the owner. If you go to Target and you have a problem with 
something um, goes wrong, who do you ask for? The manager. You wouldn't dare ask for the owner of Target, right? Give me the CEO on the line. You ask for the manager, and you know the manager has all the authority that is needed to take care of what, uh, what you need. So likewise, steward, manager. And if you think about it today, God has made us his account managers. He has entrusted us with his stuff. We learned last week Jesus came. He was the richest of the rich. He was in full glory with God. He came and, and gave it all up, came to earth. All that richness, all that great stuff that God has, he's entrusted to us to manage. Psalm 50 says that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, which is a way of saying he owns all the cattle. Try to count a thousand hills. He owns all the cattle there. Uh, Haggai 2.8 says the silver and the gold are his. So he owns the, the precious metals too. Everything that God has, he has entrusted to us. God is super, super wealthy, and he's given it to us to manage. What trust? I mean, it, it is humbling to, to imagine that God has entrusted us with that much. What he has given us can be summed up in three things. Time, talent, treasure. You've probably heard of that. And what is a sermon without a great, you know, list of three things that all have the same first letter. I mean, you know this is a good sermon. I didn't think of that, though. Time, talent, treasure. It helps us remember it. I just, we're not going to talk about this, but I want to make a quick note. God also has given, entrusted us with the earth. He, as a part of the creation, he entrusted to Adam to subdue the earth, make it work for him. Um, we, God has entrusted us with the earth, earth as well, the environment, the land. I'm not going to talk about that today, but just make a quick note that, that we as Christians shouldn't let, you know, the environmentalists, you know, lift up the environmentalist flag, you know, that we understand that God has entrusted us with the environment. Um, now, part of that is, he says, to populate the earth, so people that are into population control aren't really stewarding it either, but God has entrusted us with the earth. We're not going to talk about it, but I knew somebody would be upset if I didn't mention it. On we go. Time, talent, treasure. We're going to first start with treasure. Treasure, more often than not, is money. Yes, a sermon about money. Get over it. Everything else uh, also valuable to us is in this category. Our cars, our homes, our jewelry, our treasure. More often than not, we're talking about money. Um, and I know it's uncomfortable to talk about money. I know we don't like, especially when a pastor does it. Um, Jesus, if you want to argue, argue with him, taught about money or possessions or work, that kind of category, taught about it 25% of the time. More than he taught about heaven and hell, taught about money. Um, so if we were to follow his example, we should teach about money once every month. Um, so once a year we can handle it. There's 2,300 verses, 2,300 verses in the Bible pertaining to money, possessions, this kind of thing. 2,300 verses. You're thinking there's a lot of verses in the Bible. There's 500 verses in the Bible that talk about faith. Less than 500 that talk about prayer. And we love talking about those things. And God talks about money 2,300 times in the Bible. Our treasure is important to God because he says where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. Your heart will follow after your treasure. Money is amoral. It doesn't ha- it's not right or wrong. And so often, not, more often than not, we think of money as evil. We think of money as bad. We don't want to talk about money. Leave my money alone. Money is amoral. Think of it like a brick. Dave Ramsey, who I like, he is a uh, teacher about money. He says, think of money as a brick. A brick can be 
used to build a children's hospital and a brick can be used to throw through a window at that children's hospital. The brick is not good or bad. It is what you do with the brick that, that matters. Think of money like a brick. It's amoral, okay? Um, when you think about money and you think about church, you think about tithing. That is the fancy word for 10% that we talk about in church. Tithe, tithe, tithe. If you don't know what tithe means, it means 10%. Tithing, as we think today as Christians, was a part of the law. It's correct to think that it was a part of the, the law that the Hebrews lived under to, to tithe. But tithing was around before the law existed. It's a, it's a principle that God taught before the law was in, came into existence. In Genesis 14 and Genesis 28, Abraham, we see tithes. He tithes to that priest with the name that starts with an M, Mechilzedek, um, that I can't pronounce very well. He tithes to him. Likewise, Abraham's grandson, Jacob, gives a 10, 10% uh, back to the Lord after he has an encounter with God. Tithing was around before the law. So we can't say, well, I'm not under the law anymore. I don't have to tithe. Before the law was around, tithing existed. Now, tithing, as the Hebrews understood, came from the first fruits. If you've heard first fruits before, what that means is just that first and best went to God. Before any, you got your hands on any of the other stuff, it, you, gave, you gave that portion to God, what was due to him. So likewise, we sh- if we're going to follow that principle of tithing, it comes from the first fruit before we get our hands on it. Now, it's for most of us, when we get our paycheck, we, we, we understand that, you know, I earn a thousand bucks a month and I get my paycheck and it's 750 bucks. What happened? Uncle Sam currently gets the first fruit. Before you even see your check, Uncle Sam, the government takes the first fruit. So, if we're to follow this first fruit, we need to back up to what we earned before Uncle Sam swiped it and give off of that. So that's another way of saying we give off the gross, not the net. You don't tithe on the 750, you tithe on the 1,000. And I know, it stings, believe me. Um, now, now, I'm just talking about, I'm just laying some, this is kind of traditional stuff that we talk about when we think about money. Hebrew people in the Old Testament had three tithes. They didn't have one tithe. They had three tithes. Their first tithe went to the Levites, who were the priests, the people that ran the temple, because the Levites didn't have an inheritance, so they tithed to the Levites. Second tithe went to their annual feast. So once a year, they tithed to the annual feast, a big celebration for all that God had given them. They tithed their goods, their produce, their money to the annual feast. That's the second tithe. Their third tithe happened once every three years, and that went to the widow and the orphan, and the, the wanderer, the sojourner, the illegal alien, if you will. They tithed to those people because they were in need. God commanded that they give a portion of their goods to those in need. So if you add all those up, a Hebrew person back in the day under the law, if they, when it says tithe, they understood that to mean 23% of what they made, not 10%. 23%, 10% to the Levites, 10% to the annual feasts, and then 10 divided by 3 is about 3, so... About 3% went to the widows each year as well. 23%. Now, um, today Americans give about 2 to 3% on average of their income. Christians, we do way better. We give 3 to 4% of our income. Hebrews gave 23% of what they made off the top before they even looked at it. They understood that was God's. Now, we, as I said, we're not under the law. Um, Jesus has fulfilled the law for us. So what do we do with tithing? Tithing is not 
explicitly condemned or condoned in the New Testament. We don't see it as being laid out as a must, and we don't see it being laid out as a, you shouldn't do that. Um, now, uh, we're going to read something that teaches us about giving out of 2 Corinthians 9. If you want to flip there, you can. 2 Corinthians 9, the context here, Paul's writing to the Corinthians. The, um, the Macedonian church, he's giving an example about the Macedonian church. They were, they were a poor church. They had, they had it rough. They weren't wealthy by any means. The Macedonians were having a rough go at life. Their economy had tanked, and they were feeling the pinch. And Paul gives an example to the Corinthians of the Macedonians. So he does that through chapter 8 and into chapter 9. And then he wraps up with this. This is uh, chapter 9, um, 6 through 8. And this is on your bulletin as well. So all this, he's giving them all this great example of the Macedonians, how they gave. They gave out of their poverty even, and they gave sacrificially. And Paul's giving him an example of how to give. And he says, the point is this. He sums it all up by this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So what we take from the Old Testament, uh, New Testament, sorry, in in terms of giving, we don't see the tithe explicitly lined out, but Christians are to give regularly, sacrificially, and cheerfully, as we see here from the Macedonian church. They gave regularly, or it was planned, they thought about it, they set it aside, they had prepared to give, they gave sacrificially, they gave until it hurt, they gave proportionally out of their, what they had, and they gave cheerfully, they enjoyed giving. It got them really excited because they understood they were a part of a different economy, and they loved giving to back to, to God what they had give, he had given to them. Tithing for us as Christians shouldn't be the goal. So often it is the goal. I can't wait till I can give 10%. I'll feel spiritual then. Tithing is, if anything, is the baseline. That's where we start from. 10% of the first fruit, that's where we start from. And then, as we see in the New Testament, we move on to give gear, uh, cheerfully, sacrificially, regularly. That's, how, that's what we see modeled here in the New Testament. Not a rigid, lawful, I uh, give 10% and I don't even think about it. Um, but giving, starting with at least 10%, God, what else do you want? Giving it sacrificially, giving it joyfully. That's what we see uh, modeled in the, the um, New Testament. Now, where do we give? Where do we give when God calls us to give? Remember, we're talking about treasure here. Where do we give? Remember whose assets we are managing. We're managing God's assets. This is not his, uh, ours. 100, 100% of it is his. He's given it to us to manage. So if we think about it, you wouldn't invest or give someone else's money somewhere where they didn't like it. If, you wouldn't, if a, your vegetarian friend gave you a bunch of cash to give away, you wouldn't give it to the cattle farmers of America. You know, it, it just wouldn't make sense. So think about whose assets you are managing, God's, and you give to where, what, what matters to God. Um, and what we give to what God loves, and what we see of what God loves. In the New Testament, we see that he loves his gospel, he loves his people, and he loves his poor. Those are the things to which we are to give. Now, 
I am a pastor of a church. I, I can't see in the New Testament any place where it specifically says, wherever you're a member of a church, give 10% there. We don't see that. We see principles of giving, uh, but what we see is we give to what God loves. He loves his, his people, he loves his gospel, and he loves his poor. That's where you're to give, okay? So I'm giving you freedom to pray each month about where you give regularly, sacrificially, and cheerfully. That's, that's the point. Now, you, you, you give it to, to what reflects God, what he loves and what he enjoys. Like I said, he loves his gospel. The first thing that we see in the New Testament is that Christians are to give to those who minister his word, to minister his gospel. Um, 1 Corinthians 9 says to those who make their living preaching the gospel, those who preach the gospel can make their living by the gospel. God, Paul gives permission to that. It wasn't something that Paul took advantage of with the Corinthians. He, for, he, he, didn't, he uh, passed up that right, but, like, but nonetheless he said those who preach the gospel can make their living uh, by doing that. Galatians 6.6 6 says one who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. So we see that God loves his gospel. He wants his gospel to go out and go forth. So if this church, if Radiant Church isn't proclaiming the gospel, then by all means, don't give to us. God doesn't want you just to keep an institution alive that calls itself a church. He wants his gospel to go to the ends of the earth. So if Radiant Church isn't doing that, don't write the check. God loves his gospel. We also see that he loves his people. We're, commit, we're, we're taught in the uh, New Testament to give to believers who are in need. Those of us who believe in the name of Christ t- from time to time have need. He says, give to those who have need. 1 John 3.17 says, But if anyone has the world's goods, treasure, and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? God's love does not abide in us when we withhold um, those good things from our brothers uh, and our sisters, the, the fellow followers of, of, of Jesus. So God um, commands us to give to, 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 our, to the brethren who have need, like the Macedonian church gave to those uh, brothers and sisters who had need. So you give to those who have need. If you don't think Radiant Church is helping the community of faith that are in need, then again, don't, don't send the check here. Now, this, I'm giving you permission, too, to pray and ask God. I think it's even better if you yourself give the gift directly to the person in need. Don't use us as, you know, some uh, uh, manager of, of good deeds. Don't, we're not, you know, we're not a, just a distribution center. Okay, don't just write a check and say, I did my good deed. If God lays it on your heart, if there's a brother or sister in need, by all means, bless them with it. You can do it anonymously. You don't have to you know, make a big deal of it, but you can take care of each other. You can take care of each other. God loves his people. You can invest his resources with his people. Again, the third thing that God loves is his poor. Ephesians 4, 8 talks about gospel transformation, talks about the thief, the one who used to steal, is transformed by the gospel, now gives to somebody in need, gives to the poor. That's gospel transformation. Those of us who used to steal, now give. That's the gospel being lived out. Galatians 2.10 says, don't forget the poor. Paul said, I was eager to do that. I don't want to forget the poor. You're to give to the poor. Remember, we're talking about where we give sacrificially, regularly, joyfully, cheerfully. We're giving to these things, his gospel, his people, his poor. Give to the poor. Again, if you don't think Radiant Church is doing that, 
then by all means, don't send the check. I'm giving you permission as well on this one. You can take care of the poor yourself. Shane Claiborne, an author I like, says the big problem in the church isn't that Christians don't love the poor. They don't know the poor. I, I believe that we all love the poor. The, the, the folks that we saw in Lester's video, our heart goes out to them, but we don't know a story. We don't know how they got there. We don't know what's really affecting them. Get to know the poor. Help them out. Um, so I hope, hope it's clear of how we're to view tithing now as New Testament believers and where we're to, to give. Now, um, God is very serious about what we do with our, our treasure. This money is not a light topic to him. Remember, he talked about it 2,300 times. It's serious business to him. And I know what you're thinking. Tithing, giving, it doesn't pencil out for us. Things are tight. I've lost my job. We're in school. I live with my mom. Tithing doesn't pencil out, Mike. I know I've heard this before. 10% off the top of the gross, not even the net. It just doesn't add up for me. I want to challenge us, though, with something from Malachi when this was happening in the Old Testament as it related to the tithe. Malachi says, Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, How have we robbed you? And God answers, In your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. So as you sit there and think, you know, tithing doesn't pencil out. Giving regularly, cheerfully, sacrificially, that doesn't add up for our family. I'm just trying to keep food on the table. Then I would say to you, you are robbing God. Does your car payment pencil out? Does eating out pencil out for you? A budget. If I was to look at your budget, a budget is a moral document. It shows what, is, what matters to you, what's a priority to you. And if I don't see on there that you're giving sacrificially, regularly, joyfully, you're robbing God. And God says, will, will you rob me? Will you withhold? Will you only give 3 to 4%? Bring the full tithe and see if I don't open up the heavens. Put me to the test, God says. I'm wealthy. I own the cattle on a thousand hills. Put me to the test. This, people, this is not our money to withhold. When you can't give, it's not an option. It's not an option. You're robbing God. He is angry about that. Just like when he came back and that, that, that uh, servant hid his stuff and didn't, didn't manage it well, he says, you're wicked. You're lazy. That was mine. At least put it in the bank to get interest. I, I don't know about you, but I don't want to hear that at the end of my life. You wicked and lazy person who wanted to eat Chipotle instead of help somebody in need. And I love Chipotle. I do. And I tithe to Target. But, but we need to remember, this isn't our stuff, guys. 100% of it's God's. And he says, you're robbing me. If you withhold it, you're robbing him. And I don't want to be one that has to deal with God, a God who I have robbed. I mean, imagine robbing from a rich dude with a lot of connections. And then, I mean, I don't want to face God if I've robbed him. 
The wicked hoard. The wicked are scared of God. The wicked keep it back. Don't be wicked. God has your best in mind when he tells us to give sacrificially. It's for your good. It's not because he's greedy. It's not because he needs more. It's for your good. He knows that a pond that only has water coming in and nothing going out becomes scummy. He doesn't want you to be scummy. He wants you to be his hands and his feet in the world and giving out of your treasure what matters to you. That, that, that affects him. It's for your best. It's not because he needs more. It's because he loves his gospel. He loves his word. He loves his people and he loves the poor. And he wants us to manage his resources in that direction. All of them. And I, I believe God too f- can free us from the bondage of not having enough. When we give, we're free from the bondage that there is not enough. There's not enough to go around. There's not enough to give. There's not enough to pay the light bill. There's not enough to pay the rent. Be free from the, that trap of not enough thinking. Because when you get used to giving off the top, you get used to living on a little bit less, you, you, you become a little more free. The money doesn't have its hold on you, but you actually are managing the money. It's not managing you. A simple way to do this, like I said, make a budget. Write it out. See it on paper. Use a calculator. Don't spend more than you take in. In fact, spend a little bit less so you can give regularly, cheerfully, joyfully. If I were to walk up to you and give you $50,000 and say, I'll be back in a year. Here's fifty grand. Take care of it. I want it to reflect me. I want you to do things with it that reflect me. You can give it away. You can invest it. Just, I want it to be a reflection of me. It's my money. Here's fifty grand. I hope and I pray that you would write out a plan for that money. Okay, I'm going to give this much here. I'm going to give this much here. I hope you wouldn't plan to spend 60 of it or 40 of it and keep some for yourself. I would hope that when I came back in a year, you'd have a plan and have executed that plan. Likewise, God has given some of us $50,000 each year through our jobs or more than that, and we won't bother to write out a plan for him. We won't bother to, to spend some time at the beginning of the month and plan where it's going to go. I mean, how wicked and how lazy, how slothful can we be? $50,000 going through my hands every year, and I won't write about, get a plan for it. I don't care that it reflects God. So that's treasure. Treasure is important, but it's not the whole thing. Talent, God also gives you talent. 1 Peter 7 says, uh, the end of all things is at hand. Be self-controlled. He says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. This is fairly simple. God is, like Lester said, if you're a Christian, you have a gift. God has given you a talent. You don't have to look very far for this. What are you passionate about? What are you good at? What have you learned? What experience do you have? These are things that God has given you that are very practical. There are spiritual gifts, yes, but there are, there are practical gifts like being able to fix a car. That's a gift. God says, steward the gift of grace that I've given you. Not just your money, but give of your talent. And don't overlook the obvious. Not everybody in this world can walk. Not everybody in this world can read. Not everyone in this world can travel. Don't overlook the obvious things that God has given you. Most of us have cars. Most of us have feet that work. These are talents. These should be stewarded. You don't just wait till you're super spiritual, and then I'll give God the spiritual talents. Give him all your talent. Um, And remember, the test of stewardship isn't uh, skill level. It's faithfulness. 
It's not about skill level. It's about faithfulness. And I want our church to be free from the sin of comparison where we're looking to the right and left and thinking, well, I'm not like that guy or I don't look like that girl. I don't sing like her. The sin of comparison will keep you so locked up that you won't have anything to give God. You won't see the beauty and the gift that he's put inside of you to be unique. There's a scripture in the Bible where at 1 Corinthians 12, where God says, you know, not all of your eyes, not all of your arms, not all of your feet. If, if the whole body was made up of eyes, you'd look weird and you wouldn't do anything. God has given us a variety of gifts. We need to celebrate the variety of gifts as normal as they might seem and, and steward them unto God, manage them for him. Um, lastly, God has given us time, time, talent, treasure, time in Psalm uh, 90 says, teach us God to number our days that we might get a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days. You have 168 hours every week. 168 hours is a lot of hours. 50 of them, 40 to 50 of them probably are taken up with work, school, or a combination of those. I hope 56 of them are taken up with sleep, getting eight hours a night. Um, Hopefully not too much more than that. Um, So that leaves us roughly 62 hours every week. Does your week feel like you have 62 hours to give? It doesn't to me. I'll tell you that much. I know, of course, some of that's taken up with like getting ready for work and eating and, you know, that kind of stuff. But you are aware and conscious and free for 62 hours every week. Are you stewarding? Are you managing that time? Time is our most valuable asset. Not all of us have great wealth. All of us have 62 hours every week beyond sleeping and working. doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. You have time. It's a valuable asset. And likewise, I encourage you to make a budget of your time. Plan out your day. There's a guy named Mike Bickle who has a great teaching about having a focused life. I encourage you to listen to it. That guy manages... Uh, plans out his day to down to the 15 minutes. Every 15 minutes is planned by him. And he says, you know, when I first started, I probably got 50% of it. But he's worked it in, and now he, he is one of the most focused, driven people I've ever listened to. Manage your time. Don't squander it away on Facebook or playing nonsense Angry Birds games on your iPhone like me. Don't squander. Time can be squandered just like wealth. You wouldn't get $50,000 and chuck it off, off a cliff. But so many of us are doing that with our time. We're squandering it. We have no plan. We're just chill. We just kind of go with the flow. And we're squandering it. We're wicked. We're lazy when we hoard our most valuable asset, which is time. What is robbing you or who is robbing you of your time? Can you say no? Can you say yes? Are you free to do those things? Are you saying No. Do you have a plan with God's time that he's given you? None of us know how long we're here. None of us know if tomorrow is our last day on earth. Let us be found ready and working and managing what God has given us. Now, um, there is a blessing in singleness. Folks that aren't married, there's a blessing in that as far as time goes. The word says that a married man, his, his attentions are divided. A single person... They're, they're, they can be anxious for the things of the Lord, it says. Not anxious for how to take care of their wife, but anxious for the things of the Lord. And so, briefly, singles, I know that in church especially, singleness isn't really talked about like a blessing. We talk about our kids all the time and our marriages all the time, but it's mostly because our lives are so messed up that we need like a support group and need to feel like we're not alone. 
Um, singleness, though, is an incredible blessing. And I'm not talking about what your relationship status says on Facebook. Singleness is if you're not married. If you're not married, you're single. Even if you have a girlfriend, you're single. And your attentions should not be divided. If you're treating your girlfriend like your wife, I'd watch out there. God gives you your singleness for a brief amount of time. If he's calling you to be married one day, you're only single for a short amount of time. I look back and I wonder what I did with all my time. Now that I'm married and I have a kid, I just think, like, what did I do with my life? I, I, I don't, it doesn't feel like I have an hour to myself. And what did I do before I had all these things? This is a great time if you're single to be fully devoted to the Lord. If God calls you to China today, you're going to go a lot quicker than if he called me. Because I've got to talk to my wife. I've got to talk to my boss. I can't abandon my family. But if he calls you, you could say, hey, I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to China. See you there. Our, um, we sent a group to Haiti this summer. That, the, the push to go to Haiti was not driven by married folks. It was driven by single folks who heard an earthquake happen. They heard God's call and they said, let's go. Let's do something. We need single folks in our midst to, to remind us to serve God wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly to not be divided. Um, so I just wanted to mention that. You're blessed, single folks. Um, so in wrapping up, all this stuff about managing what God has given to us, managing his time, his talent, his treasure that he's entrusted with us. The key, I believe, is being content, having an open hand. An open hand can have stuff put in it and stuff taken out of it. But if you clench your stuff, if you clench your money, if you clench your time, if you clench your talent, God can't take it and he's not going to add to it. Try putting more money in this fist. It's going to fall out. Contentment is an open hand, an open hand toward God. Lord, I'm content whether you give me plenty or you, you give me a lack. I'm content. And we don't want to be controlled by any of this stuff. We don't want our stuff to have us. First Timothy says that, that godliness with contentment is great gain. The greatest gain that we can have in our life is contentment with what God has put in front of us. And this isn't just about being prudent, what's doing right. You know, I got to do my budget. I'm going to give 10%. That's the right thing to do. That's the, or the, the, not the most, I don't want to say right, but effective, the most effective thing to do. It's not just about being prudent. Because sometimes God, remember what economy you're a part of. God might call you to do some crazy things at times. It might not make sense. It might not be prudent. It might not be effective. Look at Jesus' church growth plan, for crying out loud. He died and scattered everybody um, away from him. He died with one follower and a few ladies. That's not a good church growth plan. It didn't make sense. His disciples were perplexed. So this isn't just about doing what is most effective. It's doing what's most worshipful. It's, this is primarily an issue of worship. Who are you worshiping? Are you worshiping God and taking care of what he's given you? Or are you worshiping the stuff that he's given you? So he might call you you know, to do, be a mission, uh, missionary. He might call you to give a bunch of money away. He might call you to leave your well-paying job so you can steward your talents at a different job. I don't know, but what's most important is what's most worshipful, not much what's most prudent or what's most effective. Um, we want to be free, guys. We want to be free from the world, worries of this world. And God gives us the key to that. He gives us all this stuff to manage, our time, our money, our talents, uh, you know, our, our homes, all that good stuff. We want to be free from it. We don't want to be controlled by it. It's no fun when you're controlled by this stuff and you're anxious about life. He says, look at the birds. They don't worry. They don't sow. They don't 
store away in barns, and I take care of them. Are you not more valuable than birds? So a couple of challenges, a couple of ways that we can respond. On your bulletin that you got, um, on the inside is a stewardship inventory. I broke it down into three categories, time, talent, treasure. A few questions under each, yes or no questions. The point of this, I want you guys to fill this out, not today, but go home, take a nap, and then wake up and do it. Um, The point of this is to get you thinking about what you have. What is in your storehouse? What has God entrusted you? What are the talents, like the parable, that he's put in your hands? I spend, under time, I spend daily communing with God. That's an easy one. Yes or no? Do you do it daily? And then over to the right, you have a stewardship opportunity. How can I steward that if I'm not doing it? Or if I am doing it, how can I steward it? How can I best invest it in a way that reflects God? But there's other things in here that hopefully will get your, the juices flowing under talent. Um, I know how to clean the toilet, yes or no. That's a talent that can be used. You can steward that. Hopefully none of you say no to get out of that. Um, under treasure, I learn, earn at least a dollar each month. I didn't want to put, you know, exorbitant amount on there. If you earn a dollar each month, it's God's. How are you going to manage it? You're probably going to be living on somebody's couch, but still, how are you going to manage that dollar? So fill this out. There's, think, I just want you, you get, get, to get the juices flowing. What do you have? What do you have that can be given to God, managed for his sake? Can you walk? Do you have a car? Can you read? Are you bilingual? You don't have to have you know, abnormal talents in order to manage them unto the Lord. Very normal things can be given unto him. And when we start walking this stuff out, when we steward it unto him, we're going to experience incredible freedom, incredible joy. The, 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 the manager in the parable of the talent said, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm going to give you way more than you ever could have dreamed about and enter into the joy of your master. This is what stewardship's about, entering into the joy of our master, of our heavenly father. Who wouldn't want to have to live in God's abundant joy? And this is a way to do that, to manage what he has given, given to us and recognize it is all from him and it's all to him. Let's pray. Father, giver of all good things. Lord, you give every good, every perfect gift. Lord, break us of this uh, addiction to stuff, addiction to ourselves by hoarding our time addiction to comparison by wondering why we don't look like that person or this person lord break these things in us so that we may be found as good faithful stewards it's all your stuff lord every dollar every talent every hour god is, is all yours jesus i pray that we could enter into the joy of our master this week that we could enter into the joy of serving you. Lord, we thank you for hands in the community and what they are doing. Lord, put it on our hearts, Lord, if you want us to, to, to volunteer, to steward some of our time or our talent or even our treasure in that direction. Pray that you'd bless that ministry. Father, may this church, God, put you on display above all things. Everything you've given us, Lord, is yours. And it's for your glory that we serve. It's for your glory that we do this stuff. Lord, and if, if there's folks today that are receiving this as a condemning word, I pray that you would break the power of that condemnation and speak tenderly, Lord, that you're, you're a good master. You're not a greedy, 
mean, uh, harsh taskmaster. Lord, you're a loving father, and you're inviting us into this stuff. This is an invitation, not a heavy burden. We love you today, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We want to be a resource for you as you walk with Jesus. So please connect with us at radiantbicelia.com. Until next time.